Welcome to the Stable Travel Podcast, hosted by Nicolette Lafferty. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 6 of the Stable Travel Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about water safety with Lauren from the Thermal Body Alliance. So hello Lauren and would you like to introduce you introduce yourself to the listener. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so I am a swim teacher and an exercise physiologist. Um, I've been working at the Cerebral Palsy Alliance for about 10 years now, um, coming from a swim teacher background. So that's why water safety and water access and being able to take part in, you know, water as a sport and swimming social engagement piece um, is really important to me, letting everyone in Australia have that opportunity. So, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you today. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to start off with some of the basic water safety fish um, attitude and way to keep people, people with disabilities safe. So what are the general safety tips that basically regardless with disability, with disability you have should be covered before you get into the water or any surrounding water? So, yeah. Yeah. Um... It's a big question, isn't it? Um, I guess in terms of like why are people with disabilities, why is that being singled out as something we're concerned about? Um, if you think about individuals on the autism spectrum, there's a um, scary statistic that children on the autism spectrum are 160 times more likely to drown than their neurotypical peers. So um, I that just kind of, you know, it's a bit mind-blowing when you think about 160 times. So that comes from a lot of different reasons um, and I'm sure we'll talk through a lot of them today, but um, some of it is less access to swimming lessons, so not being part of an appropriate swimming lesson and finding something that really works to learn how to swim initially um, can, you know, increase risk factors for drowning um children all children have a bit of a um it's called wandering you know might be drawn to environments or to be pulled away from environments that are safe so they might find themselves being leaving a safe space and going somewhere else because they might not understand the risks of doing that or the danger of being in that different environment um and people with autism so nearly 50% of children with ASD will attempt to escape from a safe environment, which is nearly four times higher than children without autism. So straight off the bat, you're starting to see some of those reasons why. Um, and sensory, the, I guess, um, the water has a huge draw to all Australians. We love going down to the beach, sitting there, watching the waves, being in the water, feeling the sand between your toes, you know, that's, it's part of our culture, it's iconic, it's Australian, um, it's how you picture summer holidays, but it can also be dangerous if you're in a situation and you don't know how to swim. So um, that draw card of the water can lead children to 
yeah, head over to the water, um, which might not be safe. So leaving a parent's supervision or something. Yeah. And especially doing swimming lessons, it's not just learning to swim, it's a bit more also about how to out and in safely and how to stay rich of the water and and see where they um treating them where they murky water or where they potentially be pulled right out in the rip and they're potentially learning the safety method to also keep you safe. Yeah. Sometimes it's like you know how to swim, but you still can get yourself into trouble because you put yourself into a situation that is beyond the capability of the person. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, understanding um, beach safety, understanding how to read the current and read the water is really important as well. And under like knowing how that environment might be different day to day. So um, that's another challenge with individuals with autism is that generalization of skills. So being really good at a skill in one set environment, but as soon as that environment changes, it might be quite difficult to transfer that same skill and knowledge set into a different type of space. So for example, if we've got um, a swimmer that always swims with the blue kickboard and then suddenly that day the blue kickboard's not around, well, it can be challenging to convince them that the green kickboard will help them swim equally as well. Um, and when the environment's hugely different, like moving from a um, quiet swimming pool in your lane, swimming with one-on-one -on -one with a teacher compared to going to a beach where you've got the sand and the crashing waves or being at a park and seeing a river and suddenly you're throwing a stick in the river and that you leaning into the water and you're not expecting to swim in that situation. So you've gone swimming in your clothes. Um, a lot of learn to swim lessons will do um, water safety is the last week of term. So in that water safety week, we might encourage people to wear their pajamas or wear their school uniform or something a little bit silly. Like it is, fun as well because sometimes otherwise it can get a bit scary but um it's about getting in the water and learning that you can swim even when you haven't got your swim goggles on so um being able to swim in clothing taking and the high school age like older kids I remember doing it when I was at university as well as part of my bronze medallion like learning to float on your back to save energy if you can't swim back to the edge at that point in time, um, just laying on your back and floating until someone does come and save you um, or, yeah, treading water, treading water in clothes, trying to take your shoes off, trying to take your socks off and take your clothes off so that then you're down to just your swimmers and swimming like that. Um, I have a niece that's, um, well, she's six now, but, really good little swimmer. She's getting there in swimming lessons, but she always wears her Minnie Mouse swim cap and her goggles. And, you know, having a bath at home or a shower at home and getting that water splashing her face is stressful for her. And um, I can just see from a water safety perspective that is a danger in itself of, yes, she can swim, but what happens if she slips into the pool? Um, or she goes under in the bathtub and she hasn't got her goggles on, suddenly she's a non-swimmer in that situation. So it's about 
identifying all of those different risks and talking with kids and showing them what the different, you know, what's out there and what they need to be aware of so that they become, so that they're not an unknown, so that they know, um, you know, this is the water and we talk about different water rules and not getting too close to the, maybe the edge of the pool or the edge of the river or getting to a certain area on the beach unless they've got an adult with them if they're not a swimmer yet or not going to be safe in that environment on that day. Maybe the wind is stronger on that day so they won't be, um, you know, that could create a rip or something like that and the water's not safe for them even if they've swum at the same beach 100 times before and that particular day you're reading it and seeing the signs, maybe the lifeguards have put a sign up and said it's not safe so you're acknowledging yeah. those kind of yeah, visual cues to minimise the risk for everyone. Yeah. So when, because I, a person with an disability, but including autism, build up their confidence through getting confident in different situations and stuff. Where do you find suitable, like, it's time to go up to the next step or independent? in that environment and like build up independent for a different environment and all that. Yeah. Um, like, I guess just trying it, getting out and being in different environments. Um, there's some children, for example, at my work that I know have the strength and the skills and they can I can encourage them and talk to them about their local pool or maybe do a bit of research with them and show them this is what your pool looks like on the weekend can you go down and swim with your mum I want you to try two laps of kicking with a kickboard and maybe going to a skill that I know they're going to be quite comfortable in um, and getting them to start with that but then there's other people that will need a bit more assistance and a bit more guidance so um as a swim squad, a lot of our swimmers were getting very confident in our pool, um, which our pool is a hydrotherapy pool, so it's 32 to 34 degrees, and it's quite different to swimming in a racing environment, which is a cold 26-degree pool. So um, we, as a group, we went down there with coaches to a different pool, sourced out a different pool, and started using alternative pools once a week with support or at an individual level, I've taken swimmers to new pools um, and done some individual lessons in pools closer to their home or closer to what they want to do, gone down to beach pools and worked on learning skills in that environment. So sometimes it might be, yeah, physically having a therapist come down with you and doing that whole piece together or it might be just giving that information so that someone feels confident to try it by themselves. Yeah, because and also there are a lot of resources out there to find when they're busy at time or let's say a quarter centre or a ocean pool because Google has now got the, I don't know what it's called, barfing to tell people how busy it is at certain time. Oh, yeah. And then I know the Northern Beaches can with the two aquatic centre adult at Rurinda and Manly, they have on the website telling people how many lanes are available at a certain time. So you would know that when they have about two or three lanes available and you just come in the public, you would know that it's 
be busy and packed. So it might not be doable for everyone. So yeah. We'll probably find a time that has at least eight lanes or more available. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think sometimes when you go to a new pool and probably a lot of people have found travel in general with their family, it's a game of 20 questions to get anywhere. So calling up and going, okay, are you accessible? Yeah, okay, what does that mean? Do you have commodes in your bathroom? Do you have a hoist in your change room? Do you have a plinth bed to change on or is it all bench seating or is there... um, you know, finding out all those different bits and pieces. What is the pool access like? Okay, you have a hoist to get in. Is the hoist entering the part of the pool that I can use? Like if you're planning to do um, walking laps and you're being hoisted into the deep end of the pool and suddenly you might need someone with you that can help you get to the right area of the pool once you're in the water. Um, The pool temperature is a big one the type of hoist can significantly change who has access to the pool. So, for example, a lot of pools have those plastic pool chairs that are kind of on a swivel, and so you sit on the plastic chair and it swivels and lowers you into the water. Um, That requires you to be able to sit quite unsupported on a hard plastic seat um, without falling off. I mean, they have a small seat belt, but compared to a customised wheelchair moulded seating, it's not that supportive. So um, really finding out what what that hoist looks like and what that pool access looks like. Sometimes it might even be um, taking a recce, going down to the pool and talking through every aspect of that um, before dragging the whole family down yeah. to make sure that you're not setting yourself up for failure, like just <laughs> doing that pre-work and... <laughs> thinking through as much as you can to minimize some of those barriers and talk them through and lifeguards are usually great and will happily get on board if they know that there's something they can do to help or that there's something you're looking for but they might not realize the other day we got out of the pool I was doing a hydrotherapy session at a public pool and we got out of the pool and um, my client jumped out and walked into the change rooms but he was using the male change rooms and me and his female support worker <laughs> were both standing looking at the door to the public male change room and we were like, oops, <laughs> we didn't think through that part because <laughs> he had always been supported by a male staff member yeah. previous to that. So he had always used that change room and he didn't go into an accessible change room because he didn't need that space. Um, but, yeah, for us to actually help him and get him out, out of the change room, we didn't need it to close the bathroom down for a little bit while everyone else finished and then we could go in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not invade as women in the men's bathroom. but <laughs> So we almost thought it through, but we missed that one. Yeah. Because, yeah, the, that gender thing at Wellby there. Like, I know when I go at Narrabin, a lot of mum with boys done down the lawn and they were like, look, <laughs> gear to, to it and there's only one acceptable chain room yeah we always <laughs> up for people who actually need it in wheelchair and stuff so it, yeah it's quite difficult at times definitely definitely um yeah if we could just have you know 
a few private bathroom cubicles um, that were big enough and usable to everyone and gender didn't need to be marked out on the door. That would make life a lot easier sometimes. But um, <laughs> I guess that takes up more space when you're thinking in terms of a hoist in every bathroom and a plinth and things, but um, which is why we end up with you end up with only having one or two accessible bathrooms per space. So that's challenging, like for our swim camps, when we then have 20 swimmers that want to get ready and get in the pool at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Why well, we, like, at now when we're always 20 minutes late for everything, because we always <laughs> have a number of people needing to feed through the same space. <laughs> and they can't because they're not the space to yeah, we got we work it all out and Yeah, you get yeah. your system, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A lot of communicating with everyone. Yeah. Um and then we um some of the research part of it, like people in wheelchair and stuff then had to do another layer and find a beast with a wheelchair accessible map up well. So into the water with special wheelchair. Uh, but we do have a handful on the northern beaches and around the east coast of Australia. In fact, a lot in the central coast, I know that. Um, and yeah, it's that another component that more people with wheelchairs need to look at as well if they can get onto the beach and enjoy the same at everyone else yeah definitely it's that research piece isn't it yeah (laughs) just want to go on holiday and it takes so much work um (laughs) like i think councils are more and more councils are putting the infrastructure and the equipment in um whether it's the big beach wheelchairs with the big wheels or the ramps um you know like the matting that gets down to the beach or both um Council websites are usually quite good at identifying if they've done it. They're good at telling you, um, yeah. look what we have. But, yeah, it does take word of mouth or some research to find those pieces of equipment. Yeah. So when someone go on holiday, what research do you think they should look at before they pick a holiday destination? Uh, we're coming up. Well, we're actually in summer now. Um, so what would you recommend doing when they do research and finding what is a suitable holiday destination? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm a big believer in making everything work. So um, you do want to, you know, do a bit of a mental risk assessment and figure out what are the challenges going to be in that situation and try to make it fun for the whole family. So um, do they want to, like, does the family want to go to the beach or go to a water something, whether it's a water park or a public pool or um, and what might the challenges be in that situation? So even things like a public pool, you mentioned time of day, like um, for children with sensory challenges for example a public pool can be a very loud echoing space so um, thinking about going in the middle of a Saturday afternoon when there's five kids 
parties on at the same time and it's a loud, yelly, noisy environment, um, might not be suitable for some people. So trying to figure out, you know, what will be the biggest challenge? Is it the physical access? Is it the temperature of the pool water? Is it um, walking across the sand to get access to the beach? And what is the outcome you're trying to get out of it? So um, if the outcome is to swim in the ocean, then yeah, you want to look into beach options and minimise what the challenges are to getting into the beach if that wasn't the outcome, but you want to be together as a family. Okay, what is the what is the best way to do that that's not going to be exhausting for everyone in the family and you're still going to get a holiday out of it, get a new experience or something fun? Um, probably it could be really interesting to hear from everyone um, and that's where these podcasts will be really useful is everyone's real experiences and life experiences as you share. Um, I went on this holiday and this was fantastic. Noosa was the best thing ever or, um, you know, various people share where they've been and how they found it. You'll probably find that your community has the answers of um, what works best. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think it's also important that the parent or the carer or whoever around the person with disabilities also know how to rescue a person with person and know how to do a risk analysis and all the key for a component. Yeah. Um definitely I think Number one from a first aid um, first aid point of view is um, danger. So thinking about danger, put, not putting yourself at risk. Um, obviously, you need to save your child. You're going to do everything you can to, for example, if you see a child in the water that might be drowning or struggling in some way, the natural temptation is to run and get them and pull them out. Um, but throwing yourself straight into a rip is then going to be problematic um and you hear some of those horrific stories in the news about families that you know a parent's gone in and then the parent also drowns and that leaves no one else to then raise the alarm and get more help so um ideally wherever you can the safest way to rescue a person is not to put yourself in that danger so um we call we say like reach throw wade row swim toe so your first type of rescue is a reach rescue so if you can lay down on the side of the pool side of the river whatever it is side of the um, boat maybe and you're reaching an object out to them it might be reaching your hand out or something longer like a pool noodle or a stick or a whatever you have um, and physically just getting that object and pulling them into you. So even though they are super, might be super close to the edge, they've slipped off and being able to pull them in. Um, when you're thinking in terms of physical disabilities, that could be quite challenging for someone to hold on to an object that's being thrown to them. So that's where uh, the people surrounding them are always going to be the experts on knowing, okay, what does this person need in this situation? But still try to minimise that risk to yourself where you can. So from reach, um, throw is the next one. So throwing an object out, um, ideally a buoyant object, might be a rope and you can use the rope to pull someone in. Um, that's, again, one of those things at Water Safety Week 
it's quite fun to practice rolling up, coiling up the rope and trying to hit a target and throwing it out to each other and hauling each other in. Um, do make sure you're laying down on the pool deck when you try to pull someone in because otherwise you'll go flying or get pulled into the pool yourself. Again, we don't want everyone else to get injured. But, um, yeah, throwing a pool floaty, a kickboard, a noodle, something out to the person, um, an esky, and then or a, a, um, like a life jacket if you have one. If you're on a boat and you have a life jacket, um, you can throw that out to them. That's where someone knowing how to tread water or knowing how to float can be really useful. So if they haven't been able to swim back to the edge, maybe they've got a bit of an injury or um, not strong enough in that water or in a current or something, um, if you can just stay afloat by floating on your back and then someone can throw an object out to you, you've you know, really reduced that panic moment um, and then they can slowly gradually kick in or you can get your boat closer to them or whatever it is reach throw wade so wading just walking through shallow water that's going to be less dangerous than getting a whole body in the water because you can still keep your feet on the ground and have a bit more control row if you have access to a boat um might not be you know might not always be possible but um rowing out getting a boat out to the person swim so swimming out to the person and then finally would be towing so towing is swimming out and then physically assisting the person so if you're able to swim out and then give them an object like hand over a kickboard and swim together back to the edge you're still keeping your body a little bit out of the picture so you are able to more respond to something else that happens changing situation um whereas that final piece um a toe which might be for someone that really can't swim at all or they're injured so in that situation they can't swim maybe they're unconscious maybe they've just had a seizure or are having a seizure in the water um which unfortunately is another cause of drowning is epilepsy so um i guess preventative wise that's a lot of information, but you can think through um, <laughs> think through in terms of, okay, what are the options here? It might The first option might not be jumping yourself in the water and where possible doing those other things. Um, yeah, so from an epilepsy point of view, we, um, like at my work, we would always have a one-to-one ratio. If someone does have epilepsy, we would have um, someone supporting them individually even if they're not hands-on, but they're right there so they can respond at an individual level if the person needs it. And that might mean if there's multiple people in a class with epilepsy, there would be multiple staff in the pool um, just in case multiple seizures happen simultaneously. Um, Yeah, and just in general having, um, I guess, one of the biggest things you can do for water safety and you see the signs up at a lot of public pools that talk about not getting distracted by your mobile phone. So having a spotter at the pool um, or at the beach or at the river to be that person that's assigned to watch either one specific child if it needs to be one child or watch the children and then rotate through. Um, A barbecue can be um, like barbecues in the backyard might be enough be a time that kids have you know access to a pool so really being mindful that um you're not assuming someone else is watching the children and you're assuming that there is an adult there you're really taking that ownership and going 
okay, I'll do this or you've you've got the kids for half an hour and then we'll swap over. Um, there was a wristband tech campaign that went out a few summers ago where parents physically wore the rubber wristband and then you'd pass that wristband on to the next parent and be like, tag, you're it. You mind the kids for a bit or, you know, you make sure that you're the one paying attention just to make sure that because drowning can just happen in plain sight. It's not always that big dramatic splashing that you see it. um, You might see in a movie it is, you know, a silent thing um, if someone slips and goes underwater and they just might not be able to respond to that. So, um, yeah, once they're under, it's actually, yeah, that's a bit terrifying. You can just kind of disappear at the bottom of the water until somebody notices. So, yeah. Yeah, I also recognise that just especially a quiet centre and where they have lifeguards, there are some parents who say, oh, a lifeguard on duty, I don't need to do my work or enough, but really, they don't have enough lifeguards to check keep an eye on everyone so it's still up to the parent or the carer to keep an eye on the child while they're yeah. in the pool yeah definitely I um was talking to a lady today before this podcast um and she told me about giving CPR at a local public swimming pool um she was there the child was part of a birthday party and um yeah the, the child was revived and they were fine. But um, in terms of, yeah, they were at a public pool, there's lifeguards present, but you still just need to, you know, be alert and aware. Yeah. So I um, would like to thank you for coming on to the Accessible Travel Podcast. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. I hope I haven't just been a scary person. Um Obviously, there's a lot of joyful things about being in the pool and having access to the beach and the rivers and really want to encourage everyone to do that, not just um, be fearful of those environments. And I think the more access and exposure that you get to those environments is going to build your skill set and build um, everyone's capabilities to respond to being in water environments and aquatic environments. So, um, yeah, it's not a danger don't go here but it might be that you need to reach out for extra support to get started and that's totally fine there's plenty of organizations out there there's um these aren't mine so i'm allowed to plug them um like there is dipper programs so disability nipper programs run by autism swim or surfers with disabilities where a bunch of surfers go down to the beach um i think it's once a month at a lot of local beaches and they've got a huge team of volunteers helping kids and adults with disabilities get up on a board and have a turn surfing. So there's a lot of different programs out there to help make it fun if you haven't got the skills as a family and want to get involved. You have been listening to the Accessible Travel Podcast. You can follow Nicolette on her Instagram page, nlahu20.